Good morning, everybody. How many of y'all ready to give God some praise this morning? Hallelujah. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Sometimes in Michigan, we have our images set on how high the sun shines. But the S-O-N is always shining, even if the S-U-N is not. So can you stand and give God some praise in the building as we prepare to go before the Lord? Father, God, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. God, we give you all the honor on this morning. God, all praises are due to you. And God, as we get ready to go into this service on this morning, God, we just continue to give you the highest praise on this morning. And God, even for the message that is to come, bless the messenger who will bring the message on this morning. And even special prayer for Brother Dave as he is preaching as well this morning. All these blessings we ask in your daughter's Jesus' name we do pray.
as redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I wonder, is there anybody that doesn't need a lick of music, but God's just been that good to you, that you can just begin to give him glory and to give him praise and give him honor. Lord, we bless your name. We thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for victory in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your moving in this place, and we give you all honor and all praise in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus. We pray. Give God a praise in this place. Hallelujah, Jesus.
for bringing us into this place, this congregated space, to give you glory, God. And we thank you for it. We thank you for those who are around us, the fellowship of believers, that you are growing day by day, God. And we thank you, Lord God, as we bow beneath your word, God. We surrender all to your word. Let your word tell us how to live and what to do, God. Lord God, it's for you that we, we live and we move. And we thank you, God for what you're about to do. Now hide me behind your cross that they not hear me, that they not hear Willie, but God, that they hear your words of life and may they impart life into us. Surgically remove those things that need to be removed out of our life and implant those things which are holy and righteous and pure. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Can you praise him one more time and take the roof off of this place? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God for our praise team as well. Hallelujah. God is amazing, isn't he, encounter? Hallelujah. God is amazing. God is amazing. Uh, I want to take a time. I know Terry has meant the time to personally thank you uh, for all the gifts that you gave. This is a generous and a loving and a giving church. Uh, and you're investing in your youth. Um, they're our youth. They're not just one person's youth. They're all of our youth, for we are one family. And I want you to know that because of the gifts you gave, two of the people that were in that camp here left here not knowing the Lord, and they came back knowing Jesus Christ. And, and God, and God, that's why we do this. The spirit of the Lord was high at camp until the, until the moments when they dismissed and people were still at the altar's flock. And we'll have pictures for you guys coming up. They're putting together some things. But just, it's so amazing to see youth flooding an altar twice this size. And this is a pretty long altar. And see them come and they begin to pray. And, and, and little Lee Asia, my heart was so, so blessed by her. Because little Lee Asia went, and she went not knowing God. But by the end of the week, not only was Lee Asia saved, but I looked over and Lee Asia was at the altar with her hands on somebody, laying hands and praying for somebody else that God will do a work and he will move. God is moving in our kids. He moved in Joey and he moved in Jason. He moved in all of our children and we're grateful for that. And on top of that, they got to have fun too. After, as a matter of fact, uh, two of our campers, they, they weren't too happy about going, but by the time they got there, I lost them. I couldn't even keep up with them. They were gone and they were having a good time. And you helped to make that happen. So thank you. As they, as they announced, if you're going to be uh, doing that, all of us have cans in the state of Michigan. If you're going to throw your cans away, take your cans to the to the can guy at one of the grocery stores, take that money, and we have a camp fund, and if you're giving online, Brother Dave has already put a camp fund there. We have two camps a year uh, for our youth, and we want to make sure that we're blessing them. Uh, thank you to all those. Sister Sue, I talked to her yesterday. Please be in prayer for Sister Sue uh, as she has some health struggles, but God is able, and God is uh, willing to heal. We know that. So we're going to be praying God's will be done in her life. So when you get the moment, be prayerful for them. It's time for the word. You guys ready for the word? All right. We're excited. We're in the book of Romans chapter 4, starting at 1 through 12. It's Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 1 through 12. This series in Romans has blessed me. Has it blessed you guys? Hey, man, it's, it's been, a, been a good series, and I'm excited about it. Uh, welcome to all of those of you who are online and visit with us online all the time. We're, we're so gracious to have you with us. Glad that you grace us with your presence every week. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 is our custom we read together. You can stand if you can. If you can't, you can sit and read. That's fine. Uh, let's read. What does it say? What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham 
was justified by works, he has nothing to boast about. But not before God, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he, circumcised, he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe, hallelujah, without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And I'm going to talk to you from this scripture and other related scriptures in aid of the Holy Spirit. I, I'm, the Lord has given me this title. I, I wanted to do something else, but he's given it to me by faith. Look at your neighbor and say, by faith. You may be seated in the presence of God. Speak your servant. Listen, and we'll be careful to give you the praise in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this has been a wonderful road through the book of Romans. And as we have begun to peruse the passages in the scriptures of Romans and see what God has for us and give us some foundational truths, I want to remind you that if you are not close in faith or you don't know as much about your faith, now is the time to dig in. Don't just take Sunday morning, but take it and begin to study it because Romans is the foundational truth of our faith. It's what we believe and why we believe it and how we should behave. So if you don't uh, know as much about your faith as you need to, this tells you everything about your salvation. And we've been talking all week long and all, uh, all month long for a couple of months now about the need for salvation. And Paul opens up and gives glory to God. And then in chapter one, he tells us that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1 and 16, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, salvation is necessary. That's the good news. But what makes the good news is good news is as Pretty much that the bad news is bad. And the bad news is that apart from Christ, we are lost. We are without hope. Uh, we are without uh, a saving, uh, saving grace. And so God has sent his son to us to die for us and to die in our place. And we talked about those last words last week. We used some theological terms. If I, I don't know if they got them up on the screen, but they can. If they can, they can pull them up as I tell you about them. Everybody say Justification. <laughs> We talked about justification. In other words, that a, a just God would not be a just God if he did not punish sin. If he let sin go unchecked, if he let uh, the guilty go free, he would not be a just God. Therefore, he had to find a way to make us right with God in order to uh, bring us into the family of God. And he used justification. One way to remember justification is he made it just as if I had never sinned. 
That's, that's a quick way to look at it that when he looks at me, he doesn't look at me just through normal lenses, but he looks at me through blood-stained glasses. And as he looks at me through the glasses that Jesus uh, has shed his blood for, he sees me in a new way. He is love, but it was just like when I was a young child. Uh, I call myself a young child. I was a young father. And being a father, you, you love your children. Now, I didn't know what fatherhood would be like. I didn't really grow up with a father in the home, so I didn't know what to do. And I, I learned very quickly that my nose wasn't that good to smells, uh, uh, Victor. It wasn't that good. And, and I loved my children. I really did. When I, I'll never forget when Haley was born, and she was about this big, and I called her my little hot pocket. And she came out, and she was hot as she could be. She was very hot, and she was about this big, and she fit in my hands, and I was scared. I thought I was going to break her. And I, and I said, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. But I, but, but I did what my mother told me she did with her us. I said, she's yours, God. I don't know what I'm doing, but do uh, help me. And I'm giving her to you right here, right in this hospital room. Do with her what you will and help me to be the best father that I can be. And as much as I loved my daughter, I really loved her. I loved to watch her play. I loved to look at her features and say she looks just like me. Then she looks just like a mama. They change when they're young. So you never know what they're going to end up looking like. At the end, there was a time that although I loved my daughter, although I absolutely adored my daughter, sometimes I would walk past my daughter and there would be an aroma that hit me. And that aroma would hit me, and I didn't realize that my stomach, Sister Barbara, was that weak. That aroma meant that it's time to be changed. <laughs> and and no, matter, uh, no matter how much I try to help my daughter, my stomach and my constitution wouldn't take it until about halfway through baby number two. I said, this is the, they didn't tell us that this is what we were signing up for. And as much as I loved my daughter, I would have to pick up my daughter and say, I love you, but what's emanating from you right now, I can't stand. It stinks in my nostrils. And so I've got to hand you off to your mother because when you your mother had, gets you. Your mother, if, if it's number one, I got you. I got you all day long. But it was just something about number two that made me made me want to go and run the other way. And I would hand her to her mother and I said, baby, I love you, but what's stinking in my nostrils, I cannot stand. But your mother can take it. So I'm going to hand it to you, hand you to your mama. And when your mother cleans you up, she can hand you back to me. It doesn't mean that I don't love you, but I can't take the stench. And God created us perfect and holy in his way, and he created Adam and Eve. But all of a sudden, we began to disobey God, and there began to come up a stench from the earth. It was called sin, and God loved us, and he said, no matter how much I love you, I can't stand the stench of sin in my nostrils, and I cannot touch you in the state that you're in, but I've got a plan in place. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back says, and I'm going to grab my son, my son can stand the stench a little bit more and he's going to take you and he's going to clean you up and when you're cleaned up I still love you and he's going to hand you right back to me it's not that I ever stopped loving you but I can't tolerate what's on you right now a righteous and a holy God cannot tolerate sin because he is righteous and he is holy and therefore his wrath is set towards sin and, and, and to, to destroy sin but, but thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and this righteous and this holy God he sent his son to clean us up and if we accept him we call that Justification. Everybody say justification. 
How do we do that? Because somebody has to pay the penalty for sin. So Christ became our substitute. We call that propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. We know that Christ is the propitiation. You see that word four times in the New Testament, or he is the substitute for our sins. In the Old Testament, it would say something to akin to he is the mercy seat for our sins. He is the place of atonement for our sins. It is a similar word in the Hebrew that Hebrews would have known so well, and we've talked about it this way, that Paul has told these people who are, uh, are Jews by nature, many of them in the in the, in the first century church, they are used to salvation by works. They are used to salvation by what you do. And, and they don't just have the books of the law, but about 200 AD, we saw the works of what's called the Mishnah come out. And the Mishnah is a book of Jewish, uh, of, of Jewish sayings and Jewish literature. And that's why Jesus, you'd always hear Jesus say, you have heard it said. Why would he say that? He would say that because they stopped leaning on the word of God and they leaned on the interpretations of rabbis and they would look at, at rabbis who would say something and, and they would say something and they would give their interpretation and they would follow what the rabbi said but that's why Jesus would say you have heard it said that thou shalt hate thy enemy but he said I say unto you love your enemy pray for those who spitefully use you Jesus was taking misinterpretations and fixing them and turning them back around Jesus was giving them the true spirit of the law for the letter killeth but the spirit gives life but they were set in the Mishnah they had taught that Abraham was perfect in the law before the law was ever given therefore Abraham was justified by his works throughout the Mishnah if you look it up but what what Paul is saying is it's something very different that you cannot be saved by what you do you can only be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and this would seem foreign to them he begins to talk about Abraham and why did he talk about Abraham and David in this text. He uses Abraham because Abraham is the father of the faith and they revere Abraham. So he is going to use Abraham as his model and his case study. He's also going to use David because David was the greatest king that there ever was. He received a promise, a Davidic covenant that said that your seed shall sit on the throne forever. So he's using people that they believe in to make the argument that he needs to make and he's letting them know that in Romans 3 and 20, he says this, by the law, no man can be justified. Which means that no matter how good you are, no matter how good you try to be, no matter how nice you try to be, no matter how much you give, no matter what you do, or how many nice organizations you sign up for, Red Cross, Blue Shield, Make-A-Wish, we do a lot of those here, Locks of Love, you can do all that stuff, and none of that stuff is going to get you into heaven. It's nice that you do it, but if you don't know Jesus, you're still lost. So he gives good news. He says that we can be made right with God. But this is the question. Most people will tell you that they're saved, but many people cannot tell you why. They don't understand the inner workings of their salvation. They'll say, I'm saved. And if you ask them, they're saved. You say, well, can you lead somebody else through the plan of salvation? How many of you in here, show of hands, could lead somebody through the plan of salvation right now? Honestly. Yeah. Why? There's some, and I see most of my season saints raising their hand. That says something to our culture. You know what that means? We have failed as a culture to teach the younger generations this stuff right here. 
This is the stuff that they grew up on. This is the stuff that they cut their teeth on. This is the unadulterated word of God. We pray, There's nothing wrong with self-help and all those things, but we preach so much self-help and life coaching that we forgot to teach the meat of the word of God, and people have grown up on sugar, and they don't have meat to grow with. You never know who you're running to, and you might not have but a second to run them through the plan of salvation and make sure that they know Christ. It's important that you know that you know that you know how to help somebody and lead them down the path to heaven to make sure that they accept Christ. You can't make them accept it, but it'd be good to know. And here's the question. How do I know I'm saved myself if I don't know what it takes to be saved? That's why Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you be what? In the faith. You need to know what it is that you believe. And Paul is giving us a deeper insight this morning and how faith and justification works. This is the process by which we are made right with God. And this is something that we need to know how we are made right with God. And, and this is the first part. He says, and what then shall we say that uh, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? That Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, if uh, it goes in to say that a man is worth his wages, so if we could earn our salvation, that would mean that God owes us something. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I find it funny. It's in the book of Psalms. It says, I am the Lord thy God. And it says this, it says, and if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because the earth is mine and everything in it. In other words, I don't need you for anything. We often do that in our humanistic type of preaching. God needs this and God needs that. God needs what he needs, but us is not one of those things. Because just like he created us, he could create more of us if he wanted to. God is choosing to participate with us. Sometimes our prayers are affected. James says you ask, you have not because you ask not, but then you ask amiss or you ask for the wrong reason because we are asking with the thought process that God needs us and not that we need him. And Paul has given us deeper insight into what faith is. And I need to tell you some things of what faith is. Go ahead and pull that first thing up on the screen. It's the power principle. We'll put them up on the private site probably and may put them up publicly. But I wanted you to read this. What does it say? Let's read this together. What does it say? Faith is not believing God to do what we want. It is trusting God to do what he says. Stop right there. That kills half of the prayers we pray. Because most of the times, we're praying for what we what? We look at God as a spiritual slot machine. We, we, tell, we teach our kids, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then we, what do we start immediately going to? Bless my mama, bless my daddy, bless this. That is the wrong way to teach your child to pray. The way to teach your child to pray is Lord, Help me to be in your will. What do you want from me? Our Father, you are in charge, which art in heaven. Hallowed be your name, not mine. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Not my will. Not what I want. Not what I like. Your will be done on the earth 
as it is in heaven. Your will's done in heaven and your will needs to be done in the earth. So utilize me to help your will be done in the earth. I said all that before I ever said give me anything. That's the model prayer. Let's read that again. That's powerful. When he gave it to me, I stopped. I had to put that on the screen. Let's read that again. Faith is not believe. Let's read it together. Faith is not believing God to do what we want. It is trusting God to do what he said. It is our will submitting to heaven's plans. Therefore, our corresponding actions are rooted in the will and the work of God. Y'all leave that on the screen. You can take it off the online screen, but I want to leave that up there for them to see. This is what true faith is. When Abraham believed for faith, sometimes we'll misappropriate and we'll preach and we start to preach to people uh, an eisegetical sermon to try to put us as the hero at the center that just like Abraham believed in faith, if you want something, you can believe in faith and God will give it to you. But this was not about what Abraham wanted. Abraham was already in Ur. Abraham was in what we call Ur of the Chaldeans, which we would call modern-day Turkey. He didn't start in Israel. He started in modern-day Turkey. The southern part of Turkey is what we would call it, Ur of the Chaldeans. He was an Iraqi, basically. And his people moved southward, and he, and he was minding his own business, Pastor Ernie. He didn't look up and say, God, I want to be the father of many nations. But God came to him and said, I have something for you to do. I need you to come out from among your friends and your family and your kindred. And I need you to go to a place that I will show you where I'm going. That's none of your business. You just go. Which Are you at least going to tell me which way I'm going? You start walking. If you walk the long, wrong way, I'll let you know. That's how faith really works. Faith is not about using God as a spiritual slot machine to get what we want. It's about aligning our will with heaven's will. Faith is not about a car and a house and money. Those things are great, but at the end of the day, faith is about, God, what do you want me to do? If I get money, I'm, I'm wanting not a miss, but God, what do you want me to do with it? Don't make me a millionaire just to be a rich fool. Make me a millionaire so I can bless other people. So they don't even have to, wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody would come in and they say, you know what, Pastor, I'm setting up a scholarship fund. You don't even have to worry about camp. I got so much money, here you go. Camp's paid for every year. But we want money for our own reasons, don't we? We don't understand what true faith is. Faith is not believing God for what we want. Faith is trusting God to do what he said. This is what faith is not. Faith is not optimism. Uh, I got a bad report from the doctor, so I'm just going to believe God. And that old devil's on my back, and I'm believing God for healing power. That's great if you're doing that because he can do that. And faith is not just looking at the bright side of things. Faith is not manifesting as, as new age type people will be. You can't speak positive confessions and make things happen. I know somebody who's 30 under is about to pass out when they hear me say that or if they hear me say that online, but manifesting doesn't work. And if you're in a church where they preach and manifest, get up and leave right now. That's not Christianity. That's voodoo. That, that, that is witchcraft. That's what that is. You can't speak to things that are not as though they were. God can do that. That's what the word of God said. I'm, I'm not going to speak that. I'm, you heard that a thousand times. I'm not going to speak that into existence. No, you're not because you can't. I was talking to a young lady one time, and she said, I don't agree with you. I said, okay. I tell you what, speak a Coke into existence right now. She just stared at me. Is your life the way you want it? 
If it's not, speak that thing into existence right now. The scripture says unto the God that speaks things into existence. And if he wants it in existence, I will aligns with his will, and therefore his will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. God, I know that you will heal. I know that you are a healer, and there is sickness in my body. So this is how we should look at it. There is sickness in my body. God, I believe that you can supernaturally heal. I'm going to believe by faith that your will in heaven be done in the earth, and that healing will come to my body. But I'm a mature enough Christian to know that it may not be your will to heal me. And if you don't, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You can see this type of faith even in the Old Testament. When you see three Hebrew boys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were, were their given names uh, that were given to them by their captors. And when they were about to throw them into the fiery furnace, they say something that is pivotal. When we preach this, many people preach it wrong because they just want people to shout. And they'll say, God will bring you out of the fiery furnace. And they skip right over their reply to the king. They say, oh, king, live forever. We know that our God is able to deliver us. And then people just go, uh, go crazy and they start shouting. But then they say something else. But if he doesn't, he's still able. I know God is able to heal, but if he still doesn't, my faith is not predicated on what I want. It's predicated on what I know he can do. And if he chooses not to do it, I don't lose my faith. That's why many people walk away from faith, because their faith is placed in what God can do for them instead of what they can do for God. They're believing God for what they want. They're not trusting in God for what he can do. Hmm. So faith is not manifesting. Faith is not preventing bad situations from your life, but it is trusting God amid any situation. For faith believes, number one, that God is and he will do what he said. Pull up the next, next slide. I want you to see this. Let's see what faith is not. Let's read that together. Faith is not what? Optimism. Faith is not what? Manifesting. Faith is what? Not preventing bad situations, but trusting God through any situation. This is the last. I want you to see this. Faith what? Believes that God is and he will do what he says. Hebrews 6. You probably can't read that, but if they'll pull Hebrews 6 up on the screen, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to what? Please him. You can't even please God without faith. You know what? Sometimes I, I get tired, Aaron. I get tired just like everybody else. You know why? Because there are some people in my life, and the only time I hear from them is when they, oh, you got those friends too. I'm not pleased with that. The only time they know my number is never to say, Willie, how you doing? It's to say, Willie, can I have? One day, Victor shocked me. Throughout Get Out as a pastor, one day he called me and he said, Pastor, how you doing? I said, I'm fine. He said, no, Pastor, how are you doing? I'm concerned about how you doing. And that was so rare for somebody to ask that it shook me to my core and I stopped. Everybody always said, hey, Pastor, how you doing? But then they go directly into what's going on in their life and what's wrong with them. They never just stop and say, no, there's nothing else. There's no other agenda. 
I just want to know how you're doing. How do you think that makes God feel? When every time we get on our knees, the only thing we do is ask him for what we Wouldn't it be nice if we said, God, I want my knees, and I don't want anything but you? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. God, I just want you. That's what the Father is seeking, those that will worship him in spirit, in truth, not themselves. We have preached a westernized gospel which makes us worship ourselves. Even when we sing worship music, it's not about who he is, but rather we're asking him how he makes us feel. But without faith, it's impossible to what? Please him. Without trusting what he says, it's impossible to please him. For who would ever, this says, for whoever draws near to God, what does it say? For whoever would draw near, let's read that together. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Stop right there. You got to believe him first. Do you really believe that he's there? Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Or do you believe he's a fairy tale or a good idea? Do you just believe that he's a, he's a fire escape when things go bad in your life? And you, you, you ignore him most days, but when you get a bad diagnosis or, or somebody's pulling over on you and on 696, you scream, Jesus. If you believe that he exists, you talk to people that exist, don't you? But not only do you talk to people who exist, you listen. Because communication doesn't go one way. It's two ways. I'm not just sitting down when I pray to give God what I want, but I should sit down with my Bible to ask him what he can give to me for his glory and his sake. And believe that he is and that he rewards those who what? Seek him. I like the old King James that says he diligently seeks him. When I started memorizing scriptures, I memorized in the, in the, in the King James. So I, I, you'll hear me quote from the King James. Uh, but m many people today can't read Elizabethan e English. They, they're not acclimated to it. But I like the words that he puts in that says, diligently seek him. Yes, Are you diligently seeking God? Because he's talking about the faith of Abraham. And go back to that first screen of what faith is. I want you to see that. Go back to that first green screen. This is what Abraham did when God talked to him. No, go back one more. Go back one more. Uh, he, he didn't believe God for what he wanted. He trusted God to do what he said. And God didn't give him all the promise. He only gave him a shadow. Can you trust God without all the details? Can you trust God when your clarity is about 30%? I know he told me to do something, but I don't know quite what. But I know I'm supposed to be going somewhere. I know I'm going to church. I, don't, I have no idea. Somebody here will say, I have no idea what God has for my life. But if something tells me I need to be here, that's as clear as I am. The rest of it is clear as mud. I'm, I'm supposed to be at this church. I'm supposed to be working this church. I don't know what my calling is, what I'm supposed to be doing. But I know I'm supposed to be here. Why? Because God drew me here, and I'm going to trust him to do what he said. And he will build me up. And in due season, I'll reap a harvest if I don't fail. But my first part is just showing up. Because when I show up, I'm trusting him that he'll do what he what? Say. 
I'm trusting God not to do what I want, but I am saying that when I come in this place, I'm coming to get the word, not so the word can make me feel good and build me up and build up my pride and my arrogance. No, I'm coming here so that my will will match heaven's will. Because there's a pipeline from heaven to earth. And if I move out of the way and the pipeline is here, I have gotten out of the flow of what God is doing, and I am thereby then operating on my own. That's what happens when you try to get saved by works. You start to, it becomes hard for you to do. Why? It's hard because you don't have any grace for it because the only strength you're working in is yours. But if you'll get lined up with God and get in his will, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And that's what he's trying to tell them is stop trying to be right with God by what you do. All you have to do is believe. Faith is that the promises of God are true and that, the, and that we're solely trusting on the ability of God to do what he promised despite the circumstances. This belief is demonstrated by acting out our faith. You, I know what you believe by what I see you do. Pastor, I'm trusting God. I believe God. God is good to me. Okay, Holy Spirit. I was determined if I was going to say that or not. I believe God to do just what he says he do. I believe God to provide all my needs. I believe God to do everything for me. Are you a giver? Well, no. No, I don't give. Why? Because I got bills. But I just thought you said you would believe in God for him to do for you. My wife and I did some things, I won't tell you what, but we did some sacrificial giving to do some things. While we were at camp, somebody laid hands on me and prayed for me and said, I pray that the Lord gives you surplus and unlocks something supernatural for you. When I got back, it was waiting for me when I got back. I didn't have to manipulate. I didn't have to pump and prime. Matter of fact, I didn't have any promise that I would get it back, but I knew God wanted me to do it, and I was just obedient. And as I was obedient, other people were blessed by it, and because of what happened, God opened up a door and made, let me tell you something, he made somebody give me something and apologized to me. And it was a corporation. They gave me back three times more than what I had given. Because I wasn't doing it to get. I was doing it because it was his will. And to be honest with you, I was saying, God, it's a little, my wife back there, she crying. <laughs> I was doing it just because I said, God, things, things are not the way I thought they would be. And to be honest with you, it's going to take me faith to give this because I'm not in the place or the space to give it right now because my heart is not really completely into it because I wish, I'm just, can I just be honest with you? I wish, wish that people would do more and, and we didn't have to do as much. But God, if you gave it to me, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And by the time we got to camp, kids would say, by the time I got back, I had a young man lay his hands on my, on my, on my back and he said, I pray
pray that the Lord gives you surplus and that he blesses your health and that he'll give you some things that people have been holding back from you and that the assignment of the enemy has been holding back from you. And, and, and you know what? Can, can I tell it, Robert? <laughs> when I got back, he said, I'm praying that the Lord gives you surplus. We needed a van. Van wasn't ready. I don't like to ask nobody for nothing. I said, Lord, you gave it to me, I'll give it. Had other expenses pop up when I got back. And I'm not promising you this, and I need to stop because there's some greedy person that's going to be listening to me and try to manipulate God. You cannot manipulate God. But if you're obedient to God, when I got back home, I walked in, and I read a letter, and I looked at the letter, and I just threw the letter down and kept walking because I had to go to work. Kids was off camp, turn and I was just, I threw it down. And I told my wife, hey, that's good. They said it's going to be this now, and that's great. This will work. I was walking that way, and my wife came back, and she said, why didn't you tell me? I said, well, why didn't I tell you what? She said, there's a check on there. I said, I was thinking to throw that in the trash. I looked, and there was a check for $7,333. Now, don't run out and start giving to the church now because you think God's going to give you something because that's not how it works. (laughs) You got to be prayerful and obedient to God and say, what do you want me to do? That's why we don't even have an offering in church. You can give in the back and do do whatever you got to because you you need to give of a cheerful heart, not a compulsion. You know what God's required of you. If you don't do it, that's on you. And I'm not guaranteeing you that every time you do that, it happens. We give generously all the time and stuff like that doesn't happen. But what I'm saying is when you align your will up with God's will, heaven and earth will match out. And he says, I'll pour out the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive. For you, it may not be money. It may be peace in your home. But do you have faith to trust God when it doesn't look like it's going to work in your favor? Everything I was given, it looked like I'm going to lose this. It's going to be a loss. It's going to do this. But you know what? Let me get my heart right. Why? Because I know you're telling me to do it. And if I give it with a bad heart, I might as well just throw it in the ground. So let me get my heart right and get my heart fixed. Let me go around. Let me pray. Let me re- meditate. Now let me go ahead. Lord, I'm ready. Now let me give it. I'm not going to waste my giving on, on, on being angry and mad about it. I'm going to give it and I'm going to be joyful with it. And guess what? Don't you you tell me what God cannot do. Don't you tell me what God will not do. But it's not because of when his his faith lines up with yours. It's when your will lines up with him. And I've come under the, the assumption many years ago under the belief that everything that's in Willie Barry's wallet is not mine, it's God. It's not my money, it's not his money. It's not my time, it's his time. It's not my life, it's his life. And your life will be more blessed when you learn to use your life how God wants you to lose it, use it. And that does not mean it's going to always walk in a financial abundance. It doesn't mean that it's not pain free because many of the people that God called to move lost their very lives. But Jesus says it this way. Those who give up houses and money and land in this life will get it both in this life and the next. We don't do it because we're getting something from it. We do it because we love him and if we're obedient to him, even if we suffer pain, even if we suffer persecution, that by faith we believe that God will do just what he said. 
Hebrews said that those in the hall of faith died without ever having received the promise that they were looking for, but they were obedient to God. And because they were obedient to God, God brought his son down through 40 and two generations. And although they, they didn't get to see the nail in his hand because of their stepping out on faith, we have access to salvation. Oh, Jesus. Abraham believed God to do what he could not. That's a foreshadowing. God told Abraham at 75 that you're going to have a child. That in itself is outlandish. <laughs> but then he doesn't give him a child till he's 99. Most of us don't have the faith to wait for God for 24 minutes. We stop showing up to church after 24 days if things don't go the way we want. This man waited, and, and let's be real, he didn't wait in faith the whole time. He tried to manipulate the situation. He got so tired of waiting on God, he let his wife convince him to manipulate the situation instead of waiting, and it caused him a headache later. But even in the midst of that, you would think if God was like us, he said, look, I told y'all I was going to do it, and you went and did it yourself. Well, you deal with it on your own, but this is the thing. God's response is not predicated on our. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. If he said it, he will do it. Aren't you glad that even though you've been disobedient, although you messed up, God still will do in your life what he said he would do in your life, not because he's faithful to you, but because he's faithful to his word and he's faithful to himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, he said, my word I esteem above that of my own name which means that if God said it, he'll do it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Salvation came through Abraham's loins because he walked out on faith and he believed. And that's what he's trying to let them know, that your faith does not come to you. Your salvation doesn't come to you by what you do. My, what I did was not predicated so God can give something. My, my, my behavior was sparked by my belief. My, my behavior, my belief wasn't sparked by my behavior. My belief was that if God needs it, I'll do it. He doesn't need it, but if he's calling me to do it, whatever he wants me to do. And some of you have done the same, and I pray God's blessing for you. And this is it. You can't get saved by what you do. All you have to do is believe that God sent his son, and he died for you. And if you believe by faith, you don't have to run the aisles. It's great if you run the aisle. You don't have to jump and lay on the floor. It's great if you lay on the floor. I love when God's moving in a powerful way. But if thou shalt believe with thy heart and confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and that God is raising from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the promise of God. Verse 6 through 8, he knew that if anybody felt guilty and condemned, it was David. He talks about David because David is a person that the Bible says was after God's own heart, but not only was David a man after God's own heart, David was an adulterer, he was a murderer, he was a liar. David went to the rooftop, looked over, and saw a woman bathing. He saw he may have been by mistake. Number one, he was derelict in his duty because he was supposed to be with his army. So he was AWOL. 
Then he was on the on the roof looking and looked over and saw something. He didn't have nothing. To, he had business seeing because he wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. And then after that, he could have walked away. But what did he do? He decided to take it for himself. But it belonged to somebody else who had much less than him. And when he took Uriah's wife, he ended up uh, uh, trying to get Uriah to sleep back with his wife so he could cover up his sin. And Uriah had much better character than him. You know, I want you to pay attention to that. Uriah had much better character. Uriah wouldn't sleep with his own wife because the people were at the fields. And so, they, and, but David had taken his wife. And, and so David sends him to the front lines with a letter that was going to say, put me at the front lines and kill me. And David knew what sin was. But when he got confronted with the sin, thank you, Holy Ghost. He, 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 he penned some words. He says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Everybody say I'm covered. It's wicked and as nasty as all the stuff David did because he repented and he looked in Psalm 51 and he said, recreated me a clean heart and renewing me a right spirit of God. After he had done all that stuff, God says, you're a man after my own heart. I still love you. That's the message for today, that if you have received Christ, blessed or happy are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That's why some people have a problem with worship and praise, because they think they're here because of their own recognizance. They think they're here because they decided to be here. Brother Bob, they, they, they think they're here because they were the good person. They think they're here because they're a good tither. They think they're here because they can pray. They think they're here because they've been in the church a long time. They think they're here because they, they Holy Ghost feel, the Spirit feel. That's what they think. But here's, here's the thing. If you really knew what you should have happened to you? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Prisons got plenty of people, but that's just because those people were the ones who got caught. <laughs> it's a lot of people raising their hands in church. It ain't because you're holy, it's because you didn't get caught. But if you receive Christ, blessed are those whose lawless deeds Amen. are forgiven. When you realize what you really deserve and God loves you enough to bring you into a place among believers that believe like you and give you his word and spend time on you, that the creator of the universe has time for you despite all the stuff you did. When you realize that, you got to be what I call in the South slapstone crazy, not to raise your hand, not to give him glory. When you realize what God has really done for you and what you really deserve and all you got to do is say, um, I, I, I believe that you died for me and that's that's it. You don't have to do 50 Hail Marys and turn around and beat yourself with a whip. You don't have to go go on a pilgrimage to Mecca. You don't have to do all these other things. All you got to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And you mean all the dirty and nasty and wicked stuff I did can be washed away because though my sins be a scarlet, he can make me white as snow. Who wouldn't want to lift their hand? Who wouldn't want to open their mouth and give God praise? Who wouldn't want to praise the name of Jesus? Jesus. Praise his holy name. About to let y'all go in a second. I want you to see this in faith because he's using Abraham for an example. He gave Abraham, say, he gave Abraham a promise beyond his capacity. He gave Abraham a promise that 
Abraham himself was not able to fulfill. Why did he do that? Because God has this strange habit. He doesn't pick the biggest battles. He, he goes to the weakest tribe of Israel and finds the weakest person in, in, the, in, the, in the place. And he said, hey, get in. Yeah. You're a mighty man of valor. You mean, you, I'm the weakest man in my tribe, Lord, and this is the weakest tribe in Israel. And we all hiding our food because the enemy taking it. We, they, they, they taking up. Yeah, but you're a mighty man of valor. I need you to obey me. Okay, that's cool, Lord. Let me go, let me go get some people that are stronger than I am. All right, God, I'm ready. I got a big army. I got thousands of people. That's great. Get in. You know what I need you to do? What's that? I need you to send them all away. What? <laughs> How many of them are? I, I, I got thousands, Lord. There's thousands of people to fight. How many are you going to leave me with? I, I'm going to give you a test. And Lord, I need to talk to you about this test. Well, what's up, Gideon? Well, well, when you gave me this test, only 300 people passed the test. How am I going to defeat an army of thousands, uh, thousands and thousands? We were already weak by them, and you're going to leave me 300 people to fight with? <laughs> well, simply, Gideon, if you fight, you're going to lose. I don't need you in my way. <laughs> Come here, Pastor Ernie. Come here, Brother Bob. Come here, Austin. Come, come right here. Now, now Austin's about to attack Brother Bob, <laughs> and he has he has a has a gun in your hand. Do this right here. Now, he has a gun in his hand. I don't have anything in my hands, and I want to say, Brother Bob, only problem is I don't have a gun. Now, behind me is somebody who spent years in special forces, special military, is a fifth-degree black belt, is, is getting older, he says, and has back problems, but still knows how to probably snap your body in ways you couldn't imagine. Now, if I tried to save Bob, that's great, but what's going to happen to me? Uh-oh. I don't have the ability to save Bob, but Ernie, who is playing God right now, can't save Bob because I'm in the what? The only way Ernie can do what he has the ability to do is if I get out of his way. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. He'll he kill him. <laughs> no, don't put him down. Don't put him down. Don't put him down. <laughs> I was just like, what are you doing to me? I'm not going <laughs> to. But you see his instinct? But you see how quick he, and he knew where to grab him and what to do. By the time Austin would have been without a gun and probably without a, a tibia and a fibula. But, <laughs> but isn't that what we do to God? And God is simply saying, I want to save you. But you got to get out of my Stop. You can go down, fellas. Give them a hand. We need to do what David did, and I'm going to let you go. When David did this, there's some things that are locked up in his scripture. Guys, pull up uh, uh, Romans 4, um, 4 and four and 7. Romans 4 and 7. 4, 7 through 8. I want you to see something, and I'm going to analyze this for you, and we're going to go. Because this is salvation right here. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven or whose sins are forgiven. The first step to Christ is to confess that I have what? Sin. You can't come to God until you realize that there's sin in your life. You won't get saved unless you know that you are a sinner. 
And then not only do we have sin, but we need to confess that sin. He says, whose sins are covered, right? How do they get covered unless I first go out and admit and confess that I what? Have sin. John says if we say we have no sin and I lie, we lie and we do not what? The truth. We don't do the truth. We're liars. He said that. Now, number one is that I, I'm going to teach you how to lead somebody to salvation real quick. Number one, I must confess that I'm a what? Sinner. And I must not just confess it. I must acknowledge it and believe that I am a sinner needing the grace of God. And then I must what? Confess. Everybody say confess. confess. Now, so the first thing is everybody say identify. Identify, identify your sins. Number two is to confess. It says confess. confess. Number three is simply to release. Everybody say release. release. Why do I say release? Because 1 John 1 and 9 tells us this. If we, faithful, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we release the burden. You know why you're still hanging on to the guilt of your past? Because you still think you have something to do with your being right, made right before God. You know why you're still walking in condemnation? And guilt for the things that you've done. Because somewhere deep down you thought it was about you in the first place and it was never about you. You see all the nasty stuff David did and after all that God said he's a man after my own heart. He doesn't love you predicated on you. He loves you predicated on himself. That he is love. And all you have to do is believe and receive. And the, latter, the last thing, no matter what the sin, God can cover it. That's important for us who are racked with guilt and condemnation. Confession takes the sting and the burden away. And many are riddled with the burdens that Jesus has already died for if they would simply trust in him and submit to him. If you want faith like Abraham, you got to have unwavering faith. And it's made in, un in, in tumultuous situations. We can't just believe God where we are. We have to believe him for where he's trying to take us. Can't just believe God today and stop believing him tomorrow. Pistis or pistis. That's my broken corny Greek. It's faith. It's, it's the concrete underneath which we stand. As we get ready to leave, I want to leave you with these last things that God is the initiator and the provider. He initiates it and he provides the way because we don't have one. That, how many, don't you love people that say, hey, let's go to eat and I'm paying? <laughs> you know, you have to ask. But they invite you in and then they provide for you. You did nothing your salvation but God is inviting you in and it's already paid for all you have to do is believe everybody say by faith, by faith. let's stand <laughs> Pastor Ernest if you could come